0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. Would you guys give it up for our own Sherry Ford as she leads us this morning in the word. Thank you. All right, well, I'm going to start this morning with a confession. You know, Grant called the kids in here and had us pray over them so beautifully, and we got to applaud them as they came in, right? Okay, well, here's my confession. When we put our teenagers on the bus at church in Arizona to go for a week of summer camp, we did the applauding and the high-fiving to each other. (laughs) Sorry about that. We waited till the kids were down the road, if that helps at all. But (laughs) we had a great week. Well, I hope you came to the house this morning expecting to meet him, because I did. I did. Uh, Would you stand up and pray for me, Sarah, over the word this morning? thank you so much. What is it that you like about the place where you live? Do you like it because it's safe? Do you like it because of the loved ones who are in the house with you? Do you like it because it's somewhere that you've put a lot of thought into and it looks exactly like you want it to look? And because of the size of our group this morning, I'm going to ask you to tell me, what is it that you like about the place where you live? Anybody think of anything come to mind? The barbecue in your backyard, the space, the space, it's your space. All right. Anything else? What do you like about where you live? Because it's shelter from storms, from outside elements, from danger. Oh, that's a good one. (laughs) Because you don't share walls with the neighbors. It's your own space It's separate. Good ones. Being surrounded with family, the thoughtfulness of the space. I like that. I like that. That's a good thought. What is it that makes a place undesirable? What is it that makes a place undesirable? (laughs) What did somebody say? ah when it's empty when a space is empty i lived in an undesirable place for decades i was married to an alcoholic and an addict for almost 39 years and it was in in many ways an undesirable place and maybe that's your situation today but a place can be undesirable too if things don't work right or they always seem to break down This breaks down, that breaks down, the other thing breaks down, and you're putting out money. Or there's bad neighbors can make a place (laughs) undesirable. I read this story about a couple who had moved into a tenement building. You remember, does anybody know tenement buildings back in the day? He said, we were told when we moved into the building that every time a door slammed, this gravelly voice would yell out, door slammer! No one knew who it was, but everyone said that they had heard it. We figured it was a building myth that was fun for the long-term tenants to perpetuate. But one day, my wife let the back door slam because her hands were full. And sure enough, door slammer echoed through the building. And I laughed. I couldn't help it. The sound of the eerie voice that was trying to sound menacing just didn't scare us. So we slammed the door again. Door slammer. That's a bad neighbor. So where's the perfect place to live? Where's the perfect place to live? Have you ever taken one of those quizzes online? Finding your perfect place to live, the first one that I ever did, uh, said L.A. And I, well, no. (laughs) No, I don't know what it is that drew me uh, there in the questions that were asked. But then after I was thinking about this, I took another one. And even though the 10 questions, they can be kind of vague, right? You're like, what does one have to do with the other? It ended on Paris. Now, come on. Both sides of my family, for one thing, are French immigrants. It's the city of lights that appeals to my appreciation of beauty and romance. This is what it's telling me, right? Oh, yes to that. You are a lover, it said, and I am a lover of people. My name means beloved and a poet by nature. Is Emily in here? All right. Emily could relate to that. Uh, and I like to write, and I like words in general. I like puns. I like poetry. I like grammar. I like being the grammar police. And the, se- the last sentence was, the sensitive charms of Paris are the perfect match to yours. Beautiful. That time, it worked out for me. Where's your perfect place to live. And you can find those quizzes online just for fun. But listen, there's an ideal place to be and it's not where your head rests at night. It's not where your head rests at night. It's where your souls can live with God who lives in us. It's the place that I found even while I was physically living in a difficult place, in an undesirable place. The place I found to land my soul was in communing and coming into agreement with God as Father, with Jesus as Master and Savior, with Holy Spirit as Counselor, as Comforter, as Convictor, and with all three of them as Friend. So how do we get to that place? And how do we stay there? How do we live there? If you haven't already, open your uh, word, your Bible to Psalm 26. And I think it's coming on the screen as well. Starting with verse 2 says, Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. For I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. We can reverse these verses. It says, I've lived being mindful of your unfailing love and in reliance of your faithfulness. Therefore, test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. You get there first by being mindful of his love and believing that he does love you. You get there by relying and trusting in his faithfulness. If your mind goes to that place of God is faithful, you can't find a time when he hasn't been. He sees us through, even in the middle of a circumstance. And therefore, we invite him in to work on our hearts and on our minds, to bring us to the place that perfect place, that desirable place where he wants us to be. Verse 4 says, I do not sit with the deceitful, nor do I associate with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers, and I refuse to sit with the wicked. You get there by watching the company that you keep, by bringing yourself and associating in with good community, by surrounding people who are where you want to be, and who are going to encourage you and lift you up and speak truth into your heart, even sometimes when it's difficult to hear, right? Verse 6 says, I wash my hands of innocence. You get there by repenting and coming out of agreement with. It's washing your hands of the things that have made us guilty. It's by recognizing his holiness. And go about your altar, Lord. Verse 7 says, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling of your wonderful deeds. That's what we just did. Proclaiming his praise and worshiping him and telling of all of his wonderful deeds by spending time with him and talking with him and listening to him and praising his name and making him a part of your conversations, your day-to-day conversation. When, what, what does it say when our, uh, out of our heart our mouth speaks? When he's in, when you're in that ideal place, it comes out of your mouth, out of your mouth. He's so much a part of who you are. Verse 8 says, Lord, I love the house where you live, the place where your glory dwells. You can apply this verse in two ways. First, the house where he lives is the church here, and the house where he lives is you. Love yourself as God loves you and recognize that his glory dwells within you. And verse 12, my feet stand on level ground. In the great congregation, I will praise the Lord. You get there by learning to be steadfast, by being stable, not living by emotion. That can be a difficult thing to go. We look for the feeling first, don't we, and the action to follow, when actually it's the other way around. It's taking the action. It's going by truth and letting the feeling follow. And even if it doesn't, it's the knowing that we are where we're supposed to be. We're in that ideal place. There's a devotional that I read called Truth Works, and it described this place very well. It says, He is our temple, the center of our worship. He is our home, the seat of our security. He is our school, the stock of our wisdom and knowledge. He is our retreat, the source of our rejuvenation. I love that. He is our marketplace, the success of our labors. He is our high court, the supply of our peace and righteousness. He is our heaven, the satisfaction of our eternal longings. And what's common throughout that is he. He is. I am that I am. He is that he is. He is the place where we can live, being seated with Christ. One blogger blogger writes, for years, I thought of myself more of a placeless person than, say, a Southerner or a a Floridian or an army brat. But to claim placelessness is also to disown identity. And that is our state before we came to know Jesus. (laughs) And now we have this place and this identity in Christ. He goes on to say, for the past 10 years, though, I've considered myself a New Yorker. When I've stopped to consider what that means, I find myself thinking about how the neighborhoods I've spent time in have left an imprint on me, much like Georgia is leaving an imprint on me the longer that I'm here. And I wonder if it would matter if I left. Does it matter if we leave the ideal place? The longer do we, that we live there, does it have a greater and greater impact on us? He said, it makes me grateful for the opportunity to marinate here. That's a good word. To marinate here and to reach a deeper understanding of what being here means as opposed to being there means. The longer we live in a place, the more it has this imprint on us and we choose whether we live here or whether we live there. Whether we live in the desirable place, or where we live in the undesirable place. I think of Psalm 91 that says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout the generations. We brought the generations in this morning. We're bringing them in to live in that dwelling place with the Lord. We're showing them truth. We're speaking life into them. And that's what I want for us and for generations to come. So we may think, okay, I, I want to go there. I want to live in this ideal place. I want to be seated with Christ. I want, even if my situation, my circumstance is not ideal, I still want to be, it's, we're really talking about peace, aren't we? We're really talking about being assured and confident who we are in Christ. We're really talking about filtering through him, but we don't know how to get there, and there's a barrier that we can encounter, and it's what I mentioned already, it's the wanting the feeling before the choice. But instead, making the choice and the decision and letting the feeling follow and being confident that we can have peace and we will know peace even just because we know that we're in the right place. So for this practical application, we go back to verse 2 of Psalm 26 that says, test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. We invite him to test us. The person said, the psalmist said, David said, test me. He invited him in to testing, to try him and to examine him. What happens when we do that? Well, he tells us, over and over again in the word that it's at the threshing floor. The threshing floor is a, a great word study to do. If you haven't already in the word, it's all over. Uh, a, lot new, a lot Old Testament, also uh, in Matthew and Luke in the New Testament. It's a wonderful uh, study, and God will meet you there. The threshing refers to the separation of the seed from a harvested plant. So the threshing floor, that's going to be hard to say a bunch of times. The threshing floor is a place where the wheat gets taken It can be this flat rock very often or this hard soil that's often situated where there is exposure to the wind. So the soil can become hard just because of the amount of times that either the oxen or the actual uh, farmers would beat it down or the oxen would have something behind them that that would divide the wheat and the chaff from each other. Uh, but the exposure to the wind was important and harvested wheat is put there and then this large piece of wood or stone is dragged over the wheat to thresh out the grain when the mixture of the chaff and the grain is tossed into the wind using this winnowing, winnowing fork so when it's brought up to the wind the chaff being a lighter grain is taken away that's the undesirable and the desirable the wheat goes back down to the floor and it's treasured because it's valuable, because it feeds. It's the what we want to keep. Matthew 3 talks about the flesh, threshing floor as a place of cleansing and of separation and of judgment. Both the Old and the New Testaments return, return, refer to the threshing floor as a symbol of judgment. This threshing floor jumped off the page at me when I was reading about Uzzah in a second samuel six that's where the ark of the covenant happens to be uh, when he reached up to steady it do you ever read that and think man that's so unfair that's that seems so harsh god because he was killed for that act of trying to steady the ark but it had to do with god's holiness and it had to do with being disobedient David had led them into a place where, where Uzzah uh, ends up losing his life. It's where the Ark of the Covenant happened to be when he reached up and steadied it. it uh, and what happened to him never fails to put the fear of the Lord in me. <laughs> Every time I read it, I get a reverence for the Lord. Just like when Miriam, uh, out of a jealous heart, speaks against Moses, I get a fear of God in me, Lord. Lord let me let me keep your reverence and and have a healthy fear of you in my actions and in my heart keep my heart pure when Ananias and Sapphira lie about their giving the selling of their property and they too pay the cost with their lives Lord help me it seems unfair or harsh but Uzzah lacked the reverence for God's holiness and disobeyed along with David God's clear instructions on the moving of the ark of the covenant you know indiana jones may have averted death by poisonous arrow or snakes <laughs> up to that point point you remember this movie in finding the ark but really that movie would have ended a whole lot sooner because <laughs> because the power of god would have come down and said no this is not the way that this happens he doesn't change <laughs> there's a connection too between worship and the threshing floor. The first temple was built on the threshing floor that David purchased from Ornan and the Jebusite in 1 Chronicles 22. Here again, David had disobeyed God by ordering a census of the people out of his own pride. He had come to a place where, look what I've done, and I want to I see. What this looks like and I want to compare myself and and it was no longer a dependency on God and and so he was being disobedience in that and he he paid the price didn't he the Lord said tell me what of these three things what punishment you want me to bring it happened on the threshing floor in the and the temple was built on that threshing floor and I was reading about the temples and that one was destroyed a second one was built and now the dome of rock uh, the Islamic dome of rock sits on that same site. God cares about what seems to us to be a little thing. We can't get away from it, can we? He cares about what seems to be a little thing, seems to be a little thing to, and even come from a right heart to push an arc up back where it belongs. It seems like a little thing to just number people. Why is that a big deal? But it's a big deal, and you know the closer you get to God, it, It seems like a bigger deal to him. He doesn't let us get away with anything. That's a perfect, ideal place to be. It's the ideal place to be. We need to allow ourselves to go there. What I love about David is that every time that he had a failing in his humanness, he responded, didn't he, the right way with Bathsheba and her husband, he went to God and acknowledged his sin before God. He didn't put it on anybody else. The same uh, with Uzzah, he stopped moving the ark of the covenant, went back and said, "We got to look at this again. I got to bring myself into obedience." And they did. He, with the the um, census, he did the same thing. He went back to God and said, "Oh, and owned it," even though the people paid a price. He owned it every time. That's a a wonderful picture for us to, even in the little things, to take it before God and to own it. At the center of the threshing floor are these two flat, large stones. One rests upon the other, and they're fitted and joined together. It's this picture of marriage because the top one is named the female, and the bottom one is named the male. So it's a picture of marriage. And it's also a picture to us of Jesus as the bridegroom and us as the bride. You know, when we stray for him and we worship from him and we worship other things, God calls it harlotry. And we, we are not to think of worshiping other things as false idols, as wooden figures or, or uh, uh, any kind of statue, but it's anything that has place over him in our hearts right? And when we do that, he calls it harlotry. That's a, that puts the reverence of God in me because he takes it seriously. He says to Israel in Hosea 9-1, you have loved harlot's earnings on every threshing floor. His heart though, (laughs) praise God, is always to call us back to him. And so when we worship him, it's also a time of threshing. We step into God's threshing floor when he deals with those things which need to be winnowed out of our lives, what need to be offered up to him. We hold this chaff in our hand and we offer it up to him. We say, God, take it from me. Let the wind, your Holy Spirit, blow it away. And I'm going to walk in it without that chaff. I'm going to take this pure wheat. I'm going to come to a place where my heart is pure. And I'm going to keep going to that threshing floor and I'm going to keep saying, God, (laughs) separate this wind, this wheat from the chaff and let your Holy Spirit take it away from me. And leave me with a pure heart and clean hands before you that I can be your golden vessel. What we're left with, what he's left with, it's really what he's left with. What God is left with is that treasured wheat. It's not for us to hold on to ourselves. It's for us to give. It's the good and the pure and the holy. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit treasure the wheat. They value the wheat that you offer them. They treasure and they value and they delight every time we come to him at the altar, on our our face, on the floor, at our homes on our knees, on our sofa, sprawled out across our bed, in the car with the kids in the back seat raising up praises to Jesus with the, with the radio on or, or speaking life over them. Or, or when we bring the kids in and we speak life over them, they, del- the, they delight in that. God delights in seeing that. That's the ideal place to live, where God delights And how it is that we move for him and in him and with him. It's that intimate place of prayer and communing with the Father where he separates the two. Where Holy Spirit, our our counselor, often gently, could be a rhema word for instance, could be something's jumping out at you at the praise. We know uh, the word. We know the word is alive, right? And you can read something a dozen times, and the next time you read it, anybody? Come on, you guys had that happen, right? It jumps out at you. We pay attention because we're living in that aisle place. Where we're saying, "Okay, what it is? What is it that you're showing me? What is it that I need to see here? What is it that I need to look into further?" Holy Spirit, talk to me, show me. And it, you know what? It's not for you to keep. Just like the weed, it's not for you to keep, it's for you to give. It's for you to give. We're not entities unto ourselves. We're the body of Christ in a lost and dying world. And we take our weed out and we give it away. Sometimes it happens what feels like violently (laughs) or with force. Like when we get to experience our own consequences or... He doesn't remove something that you're asking him to remove because he's teaching you something in there. He's sharpening us. He's removing chaff. That's one of the ways he does it. But we can trust him in that because his faithfulness never ends. He shows us the chaff and he invites us to raise it up to the wind and let him carry away. Father, don't let us continue walking around in the darkness blindly wondering why things aren't getting better when there you are waiting for us Do you know how much of his time he spends waiting for us? We're asking him where he is, and he's saying, I'm right here. I'm here. I'm just waiting for you. I'm waiting for you to come closer. I'm waiting for you to walk into that ideal place. I'm waiting for you to come to the threshing floor and say, God, take the chaff. Take the chaff. I don't want it. I don't want to walk around like a walking wounded. I don't want to walk around with impurities. And you guys, I'm speaking to myself a lot. Uh, it's a continual thing, right? We see victory. Go, we go from victory to victory, go from glory to glory, but it's a continual thing. Sometimes we take him to the same pieces of wheat over and over again. And other times we get to walk in this new and deeper place with this new level and this deeper level of purity. But he's waiting for us to step into the threshing floor and admit that it's not our address. It's not our workplace. It's not even that bad neighbor. Who knows what the ba- who the bad neighbor is? Who's the bad neighbor, really? Who's our bad neighbor? The enemy. Satan is our bad neighbor. <laughs> he's the enemy of our soul. And man, he is looking for that open door. He is looking for that open door and you don't have to swing it wide. You can open it this much and he will swing it wide the rest of the way. Girls are smiling, <laughs> recognizing this as truth. It's true. Only open it this much and he'll swing it wide but you slam the door. You slam the door. Next time you recognize lies coming into your mind, next time those temptations come trying to draw you in, you slam the door, and you tell them, I'm a door slammer. (laughs) If you don't take anything else away today, take that away. Know that you are a door slammer. It is up to you to slam that door, to be that eerie, menacing voice to him. (laughs) I am the door slammer. And then you tell yourself the truth, and you send up praises to heaven, And you run like Joseph from temptation. And you slam that door on him every time he tries to open it. I took a a break from studying. And I went and got my laundry out of the dryer and started folding up my laundry and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And he said... Sherry, my people are like those who see what they need. And they see that they need to put good things in their belly. And so they go to the feed store. And they ask the expert at the feed store, how do I get good things in my belly? And the expert says, here's the seed you need. Go put it in the ground and water it and watch it grow. But the people read the packet and they throw it away, or they lose it, or sometimes they even plan it, but they forget about watering it. And before long, they feel the pangs of emptiness in their bellies again, and they run back to the expert, and they say to them, what you gave me didn't work. And I'm like, Holy Spirit, please don't let me be that, and be me, please don't let that be us, don't be our community where we go to him, we know to go to him, we know enough to go to him. Holy Spirit said, they come to the expert. They go to the feed store. They knew it's P. He's talking about people who knew where to go. He's talking about believers. But the believers go to him and read it. They get the packet. They read it. But then they forget about it, or they lose it, or they throw it away. And you're probably thinking of the other parables that (laughs) sound very similar to that. But God, don't let us be those people. We want to take what it is that you give to us, and we want to water it, and we want to make it grow. Proverbs 13, 4 says, The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. What does that tell us? What does diligence tell us? That we have an action that we have a peace, that we have a responsibility to take that, the seed he's given us, and to water it and to make it grow, to take the word, to take what he shows us, to take what we hear, to take that rhema word and run with it and hold on to it and keep slamming doors behind us that would keep us from going where it is that he wants us to go. I want to mature spiritually. I don't want to be bound up by anger or by unforgiveness or by temptations or by anything else. I I want to be Christ-centered. I want to have healthy relationships. I want to have the right attitudes and the motives. Boy, if I could tell you how many times I've told myself, Sherry, knock it off. (laughs) That's how I speak to myself. Okay, I recognize what that is. Knock it off. And it works. It's a practice thing. It's a recognition what comes from Holy Spirit, what comes from our nature, what comes from the enemy. It's the mind of Christ. I want an understanding of his purposes for my life. And if you want the same, then we need to put ourselves on the threshing floor. We need to put ourselves on the threshing floor on purpose. And say, God, here you go whatever's holding me back. You know, at the end of a a workday, farmers would spend the night at the threshing floor to protect their harvest from thieves. Well, we just talked about who the thief is. So mark your spot and let the enemy know, this is where I pray. This is where I surrender. This is where I offer up a sacrifice of praise to the Lord. God is very serious about this, you guys. He's very serious about separation. Sin is a separator, but God wants us to submit ourselves to the work that he wants, us to, he wants to do in us. He wants the people to see sin for what it is, to recognize chaff, to be like the farmers and know the difference. He will answer you at the threshing floor. That you can depend on. If you go there, he's not going to leave you hanging. He's not going to leave you there and not meet you. He is delighted. He has been waiting And he can do it right here, and he can do it right now. And after, after you go through, after you go through, mind you, we stay close to the threshing floor. We keep offering up the chaff, but after, the, the wind brings fresh air. The wind brings fresh air with it. It takes away the chaff, but it brings fresh air with it. So let's not stay where we are. Would you stand with me, please? Will you come? Will you come now to the threshing floor? Will you let this altar become a place of separation before God? There's some people here this morning, you need to lay some things down, you need to offer up some chaff to Him. This threshing floor is a place of separation where we leave those things behind, what are the things that are holding us back, but it's also a place of anointing. It's the place where the temple was built. So don't hold back. Leave it behind and leave with a purer heart and a greater sense of direction and a deeper place with him. Would you come? Bring your chair if you want. Would you come meet him at the threshing floor and open it up? Open up a space for him. And leave behind what you need to leave behind.